A podcast of the cinema. A podcast of the soaking, flooding, raining <laughs> cinema. Of the rising damp. Uh, you're Dave White. I'm Alonzo Duraldi. We're film critics. This is our show. And we haven't left the house in... What day is today? Uh, today's Tuesday? We haven't left the house since... Friday? Sun- Sunday, Saturday. Whatever, whenever the, this... Biblical flood began pouring <laughs> down on us. Ugh. It's been insane. We had to. Y'all have been probably watching the news. I mean, I we I, don't have it that bad. I hear that this is national news. Yes, I am told from people who live in other parts of the country. Well, look when ha- when news. houses go sliding, that's good video. A you whole want to house use that on your six o'clock news. A whole house. Know. Fell down the hill and crashed into another whole house. Yes. Piano, piano in, in the, the street. <laughs> that's not happening in our neighborhood. That's, no, that's not. Rest assured. We geographically are very lucky. Yeah. Because we are not in the hills where the mudslides and the house houses come. A crashing down. down. Yeah, because there's houses that are built on like steep hills and cliffs and stilts and things yeah. like that. Um, we don't live there <laughs> That's because that's for rich people. Yes. And we don't live on the flat, uh, floody parts. Either. True. Our house is on an incline. Our house, our apartment building is on yes. an incline. Now, our parking is under the building, so that floods. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a record-shattering <laughs> rainfall. It'll just flood anyway. For the, for the parking area to flood. So since Sunday, our car's been out on the little inclining street to avoid this problem of water overtaking our car. Southern California does not really know what to do with this kind of rain or rain at all. But right. we have also been stuck on the tarmac at the Atlanta airport during a snowstorm. So we're in by no means unique in this in terms of, you know. Cities in the southern half of the United States. Not having an infrastructure to deal with certain things that don't seem, ever happen. Yeah, cities in the southern half of the United States never seem to know what to do when it comes to wild weather. I mean, I lived in Texas for almost 20 years. Did anyone have a storm cellar for, like, tornadoes? (laughs) Not that I ever saw. No. It was always... go to Oklahoma for that. It was always get against the wall and away from the windows. Well, guess where the windows are? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, anyway, it's been bad here. Uh, We, again, I say we are very lucky. Yes. We live on the second floor. We are... Warm and dry. We are. And they say, it's Tuesday now, they say it's going to stop sometime soon. Maybe okay. tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next year. 
Um, I know we have some cinema to discuss. We do. In fact, this, listen, some of y'all have been messaging me and being like, when are you going to talk about this movie? When are you going to talk about that movie? And it's all the stuff that's being nominated for Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. Well, lucky you. I finally got myself a little more caught up this week. So we're going to talk about Maestro. We're going to talk about the zone of interest. We're going to talk about American fiction. Which will round out. Is that all the best picture nominees we hadn't gotten Uh, to yet? (laughs) I think. Maybe. You tell me. Well, over at breakfast all day, we're catching up on like foreign and animated yeah. in a bunch of different categories. Yeah. So, you know. I, I got to get moving on some of those too. Yeah. International. I, see, I see so many, I see so much world cinema throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And the Academy Awards always managed to sneak in like three or four titles that I either didn't bother with because mm-hmm. I thought, no, that looks dumb. <laughs> or hasn't come out yet. Right. You know, we don't get Io Capitano in LA for another two weeks. Correct. Yeah. But honestly, sometimes, sometimes the documentary and international selections are like, what? Why? <laughs> this one? What? No, I know. What are y'all doing? Um, okay. Before we do that, though, I, there's a burning, there's, it's burning in me. <laughs> there's a thing that is burning inside of me. And it is a news item that you read to me this morning and I can't get it out of my head and I can't understand it and I can't figure out who decided to do this. Look, some people don't mind doing it for the kids. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something right now. That reference that you just dropped is lost on almost everyone. (laughs) All right. When's it going to stop, DJ? I... Not soon enough, (laughs) apparently. All right. If you live in literally any other country but the United States, you can go get a snack right now because you already know everything I'm about to say. Except you might not know how it relates to the United States in its own weird, stupid way. Everybody, back in the 1990s... (laughs) There was a British boy band, you know, a Backstreet Boys-esque. At the moment of, at the moment of boy bands. Yes. There was a British boy band called Take That. And they were hugely popular in the UK and almost every other country on earth. In the Benelux nations? Where, can you guess where they could not get arrested? <laughs> Outside of a gay discotheque, that would be the United States. Yes. If you were going to gay dance clubs in the 1990s, perhaps you heard or danced to their cover of Dan Hartman and Lolita Holloway's disco classic, Relight My Fire. The Take That version featured Lulu, who at the time was having a somewhat house music-based career resurgence. Yes. On the charts. In other countries. <laughs> okay. Again, and, and, and not in the United and States. And in United States gay dance And in gay clubs. bars. Yes. Okay. Alonzo can sing the song Independence to you if, he, if you if you need him to. Why? 
because he was in gay dance clubs in the 90s, just like I was. Also, it was referenced on Absolutely Fabulous. Also, <laughs> yes, it was referenced on Absolutely Fabulous. Another gay-specific thing <laughs> of the 1990s. Unless you were in the UK. Again, unless you lived outside <laughs> of the United States. All right, so the, the group, the boy band Take That, yes. had one, exactly one hit song in North America. It was called Back for Good. It was a top 10 hit in the U.S. in 1995. Do you know what country Take That never had a hit in? Canada. Wow. This plays into what I'm about to announce. <laughs> okay. Well, so after Take That broke up, one of their singers, a guy named Robbie Williams. Who was the bad boy. He was the bad that. boy. He was the sex symbol, yeah. The, the singer, the lead singer of the guy was a guy named Gary Barlow, yes. who I, had also has a solo career. In uh, the UK. Very popular <laughs> over there. Yes. But Robbie Williams embarked on a very, very, very successful solo career in every country on earth, except the United States. Yes. Where he never had one single that charted. Not even Rock DJ? No. Wow. Now, he had a sort of ambiently popular career among some gays. Yes. So, like, like we put him on the cover of The Advocate. Yes, of course there. you did. You know why? <laughs> because he was an early example of gay baiting, of Harry Styles ish. <laughs> like, I could be anything. You know, he, like, he, he, yes. guess what he is? Straight. Okay. So, the, and he later actually gave an interview about how he totally, like, <laughs> Led the advocate writer down the primrose yes, path. Of like, course. All right, well, I don't blame yes, you. Yes, of course you did. You're trying to sell records to us, you know. Trying to become popular with the gays. You need. A, he wanted a little bit of a foothold in the market of the United States with the gays. So he put out like dance tracks. He put out a standards album. He sure did. Consequently, <laughs> um, if you are a gay of a certain age, you might know Rock DJ the song. You might know. Angels, or Millennium, or Kids, the song he performed with Kylie Minogue, if you somehow managed to buy uh, his standards album, maybe you heard the cover of Something Stupid that he recorded with Nicole Kidman. Oh, that's right. AMC Theater's Nicole Kidman. He also, actually, a thing that people might know, on that standards album, he does a cover of Have You Met Miss Jones, yes. which is used in Bridget Jones' Diary. Hmm. Well, okay, so fast forward. Here's a man who moved to Los Angeles so that people wouldn't bother him. <laughs> exactly. I, I would see him working out in Runyon You've Canyon. You've seen him in Runyon Canyon. You're like, oh, hey, that's Robbie Williams. <laughs> International pop superstar, except here. Yeah, the no one else yeah. but me is recognizing him. <laughs> I know your face. I used to work for The Advocate. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of a quote that Kylie Minogue once talked about where she said, oh, yeah, I love coming to the United States. Uh, no one bothers me. Unless I, if I stay out of Chelsea, West Village, <laughs> if I stay out of San Francisco, Chelsea, and West Hollywood, no one knows who I am. Yeah. And she's like, it's, it's a dream. It's like I can go somewhere and just live my life yeah. and be, be relatively anonymous. She can go to Filene's basement and no one's going to recognize her. <laughs> yes. That's why Robbie Williams moved to Los Angeles. He also has like a house in London, I know, because he had a feud, a property feud with someone else, someone like Ringo Starr or uh, Jimmy Page, somebody <laughs> like that over... Uh, over the fence? Over, yeah, over their fence lines or some <laughs> stupid stuff. Um, 
but he moved here. Guess why he moved here? To, for, for some a peace little, and quiet. A little peace and quiet. <laughs> to be left alone. All right. <sighs> okay, now the news. Yes. Deadline.com, yes. an industry website, reports today that Paramount Pictures has spent $25 million yes. for North American distribution rights for the Robbie Williams biopic called Better Man. Yeah, it's it a stars, musical. It stars Robbie Williams as Robbie Williams. It stars this other dude from British television as, and also I think this other dude was in The Kingsman, and I'm blanking on his name, and I'm sorry. It stars the other guy as young Robbie Williams. Mm. Here's the best part of the Deadline article. It's not not Taron Edgerton, is it? It is not Taron Edgerton, okay. no. Well, he's in the Kingsman movies. I don't know. He was young Elton. He could be young Robbie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's some dude. I've seen his picture who okay. looks just like young oh, Robbie. Oh, gotcha. Okay. 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 Here's the, here's from the article. Rolling out Better Man late in the year, end of 2024. Gives the studio plenty of time to address a challenge in the United States and Canada for the, I love this word, conundrum that is Robbie Williams. <laughs> he is one of the biggest musical artists around the globe, but even though he spends most of his time in the United States, he is a bit of a well-kept secret here. <laughs> Williams better get all those trips to the mall out of the way because by late this year, he'll be a well-kept secret no more. Is the Paramount marketing team writing this article? Hey, kinda, yeah, probably. And there is a whole market that will have the opportunity to discover his musical catalog. All right, so Robbie Williams turns 50 next week. Um, do you know what the chart loves? You know what you know what American radio and DJs, radio stations, Clear Channel, uh, uh, iHeart Radio, yeah, uh, the terrestrial and satellite radio. You know what they love? Fifthogenarians. People under fifty. <laughs> okay. And do you know what Paramount Pictures needs to sell this movie? A time machine to go back and make take that and subsequently. Robbie Williams, famous in the United States, because the only people who are going to go see this movie are middle-aged gays. Middle-aged gays who like, oh yeah, I used to like that rock DJ song. Here's the thing. Yes. There are so many ways for them to put Robbie Williams into the drinking water okay. that don't involve yes. radio. All right. There's going to be a Robbie Williams night on American Idol or The Voice or the whatever is on. Anybody watching American Idol? Well, someone is. These okay. shows don't ever die, so All someone's right. watching them. Okay. There's going to be. There are going to be. Ad Mom, have you heard of Robbie Williams? <laughs> He's the best. I just, I just saw him for the first time. He looks so young. I don't know how old he is. <laughs> There's going to be... He, maybe he's Gen Z like me. There, there's going to be, like, remember the Downey uh, ads with uh, everybody, everybody in it? <laughs> Do it. Ow. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Yes, it was in an ad. Yes. So there's going to be a Downey ad with Rock DJ in it. Like, there's gonna, they're going to just <laughs> no cram... No one's going to care, though. No one's going well, to care. The, look, the, I promise it, it's you. from the director of The Greatest Showman, which did far better at the box office than any it ever had a right to. They're going to have to market to. this movie as being about something other than Robbie Williams. <laughs> it's going to the story of a man who who yearned for musical success, who defied the odds, he defied the odds, <laughs> and he, like they're going to sell it. They're going to have to sell it as fiction. <laughs> fiction about a guy that you've what? never there's heard a, of. There's before. a real guy. <laughs> 
from the people who brought you The Greatest Showman, which was also about a real guy. Here's a movie that is not really about a real guy. It's about this fake guy we made up. His name was Robbie Williams. You've never heard of him before, but he's going to be part of your imagination forever. And here's the crazy thing. This is apparently yeah. one of the biggest like sales of an indie film to a studio yes. like, ever. Yes. $25 million yes. for this thing. Someone has seen something and has there's some bar graph has made them go, yes, this was a good idea. I need to know the reasons. I, need I to can't know the imagine answers. they're throwing good money after bad higgledy-piggledy. But, uh, you know, this is the studio that's about to give us one love, which, boy, it better be better than those trailers. <laughs> the trailer is so crazy and so bad, it makes me want to see the movie. <laughs> well, I'm going. I've so. seen the trailer. Good, because you're going. I've yeah. seen the trailer... <laughs> 1,000 times. Yes. And and I've memorized it the way I've memorized the Nicole Kidman <laughs> AMC ad. And it was like, what do you want, Bob Marley? Pace. <laughs> the best thing about Argyle opening is that we never have to see the Argyle mm. trailer again. True. Um, Are we talking about Argyle today? Yeah, you should, because I have no plans to see that nine-hour movie <laughs> until it streams. I might watch it when it streams, Ugh. if I'm just lounging about. On Apple TV. On Apple TV. Yeah, boy, is this an Apple movie. It's being released by Universal, but it is It an should Apple be a miniseries. Movie. It's so long. Ugh. This little trifle of a, of a goofy spy movie is, yeah. for, is forever minutes long. Yeah, 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 it's still happening. I'm still trapped in the theater. Uh, the long and the short of Argyle, yeah, it's terrible. It's, Are we just going straight into it right well, now? Well, unless you had more Robbie Williams to discuss. I just, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll try to get over it now. <laughs> but when it comes back around... And it's time to. We need to keep a Robbie Williams watch. Oh, going sure, yes. About where we're hearing the marketing team do its job. Oh my job. God! You wait. You realize? Yes. This is the studio that gave us one love. When that trailer occurs, we're going to see it <laughs> one thousand times. One thousand times. Yes. yes. Well, but but more than the trailer. Like we need to know where else in the culture there's there there there. Uh, they're sprinkling where Robbie Williams is popping they're up. Sprinkling the Robbie Williams, you know, uh, uh, that Robbie Williams single. You never know where it'll turn up. Never in your ears, probably. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna. The pump trailer, the United, the trailer for the U.S. and North and Canada needs to be like a movie about a dude you've never heard of, like <laughs> all black screen, like that's your. <laughs> First thing. I see a lot of spinning headlines with, you know, it tops the charts again. <laughs> Somewhere else. Yeah. All right, go on. Talk and, about yeah. Ar Talk okay, about Argyle. Yeah, Argyle. So, yeah. yeah, if you've seen the trailer. Tell, tell people who's in it. If you've, seen the, if you've seen the trailer a thousand times, you yes. know it stars Bryce Dallas Howard as a spy novelist. She is captured by a secret agent played by uh, Sam Rockwell because her books are predicting the future. And when we see the books, the agent that she's writing about who Argyle is actually is played by by um Henry Cavill so you've got in in the in books you've got Henry Cavill and John Cena and Dua Lipa and then in quote-unquote real life you've got Sam Rockwell and you've got Catherine O'Hara and Brian Cranston so you know star-packed cast lots of running around and so many switcheroos this movie loves a twisty twist right and and gotcha and see ya and wrong and haha -ha, no it's this actually and it gets real boring real fast um 
way too long the twists become increasingly nonsensical and they definitely keep you from giving a rat's a about anything that's happening and uh sam rockwell's having a good time but everybody else is just sort of like yelling and just kind of going through the motions <laughs> it is what what film critic lon harris calls a red notice movie and uh-huh. explain what that means well please. uh it's like the movie red notice on netflix that starred ryan reynolds and you know gal gadot and dwayne johnson and globetrotting and you know banter but it's not funny and it's not exciting and the globetrotting is kind of erased by the fact that you can tell everybody's on green screen screen all the time yeah and uh, Apple made one of these last year, this terrible movie called Ghosted with Gal Gadot and Chris Evans. I've never and, heard of this film. Oh, it was, I spared you it. Where was I? Um, I was like, I threw myself in front of it and said, no, Dave, <laughs> save yourself. Wherever you are, I will find you. So you're welcome for that. Uh, yeah, so it's it's one of those movies. It's dreary, and and they think there's going to be like prequels and sequels, but no Maybe one went to see, no one went to see it this weekend. Oh, they did. Yeah, it tanks. Okay. So all right, goodbye. I hope that is the end of the Argyle Sorry universe. Sorry to that man named and, Argyle. And P.S. Uh, Taylor Swift did not write the book. <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> I, and if how she and if she did, she would be wise to keep that Alonzo, fact hidden. How do you know? <laughs> The movie is credited to the guy who wrote Pan, and I totally believe How that. How do you know because, Taylor Swift didn't Because write Pan was garbage. How do you know? Because <laughs> she's got tons of time. Anything could be. She's listen, got so much spare that's time. That's what they want you to think, Alonzo. They'll <laughs> throw you off this trail of Taylor Swift and yes. the vast labyrinthine deep state conspiracy mm-hmm. that yes. she's embroiled in. You know. We all know. Biden's going to come to your house and and personally vax you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is there a moment? I I have a question that I need answering. Is there at least one moment in the film where we see a cat that is real? Because according to the trailer, it is an entirely uh, digital cat. There are moments where the cat is held... Okay. And I would like to think it's a real cat, but then <laughs> I kept thinking. I kept thinking about Kristen Dunst holding the bag of Tostitos in um, uh, Wag the Dog. Oh right! So who yeah. knows? Who yeah. even knows? The whole movie is set in a digital nowheresville, so you know. Right, right. So, <laughs> so that's a, this is a thumbs up, right? You should, <laughs> everyone should. No, but there's a one of the movies that we're talking about today that is a best you picture. You got a free pack of playing cards out of it. I did. I did. I, I almost never pick up swag at screenings, but they had playing cards, and I love playing cards. <laughs> he came home and played a game of solitaire. Yes. With his Argyle-themed cards. Playing cards. Um, there is a movie today that is a best picture nominee that we did on Max Film this week. Yes. And I spent much of the episode sort of complaining about what it didn't work for me. And then okay. by the end of it, I was like, oh, but I'm still a screen it. <laughs> you should still see it. And what is that movie? And that movie is uh, Bradley Cooper's Maestro. Why don't you? I, I wore myself out having a, a weird Robbie Williams conniption. About the Robbie Williams movie. <laughs> so I need for you to just sign on for giving plot synopses for the three films that we're oh, talking man. about today. That's you your job are... today. This is the thanks I get for yeah. keeping you from seeing Ghosted. The, y- y- yes. I you. Man. 
Um, I'm making you oh, cookies today oh, and everything. We, oh, is this a transactional relationship? Well, now? It, it's becoming one if I have to do all these someone plots. Someone made you spinach lasagna. <laughs> that is true. Yesterday, a really wonderful spinach lasagna. It was really wonderful. The best spinach lasagna recipe I've ever tasted in my whole life. It's from J. Kenji Lopez Alt. Yes. And it's on the internet. And it's a lot of work. It is. But it is worth every step that you will take making it. You know what, my darling? And you won't miss the meat. And I say this as a person who is a meat eater. Yeah, you will not. It is a beautiful lasagna. Let me take on these plot synopses for you. Thank you. It would be my that's honor. your That's your thanks to me for the beautiful spinach lasagna. No, my thanks to you is preventing you from having seen Ghosted. <laughs> but we'll just put this on my tab. Maestro is from uh, director Bradley Cooper. It stars Bradley Cooper. and it's Co-written by Bradley Cooper. Co-written by Bradley Cooper. Produced by Bradley Cooper. It stars him and it stars Carrie uh, Mulligan. Uh, 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 Carrie Mulligan. Uh, Mulligan. <laughs> um Sarah Silverman and I'm like Matt you know, Bomer. Matt Bomer. Who else? Uh, Maya Hawk. Yep. Uh, and it is about the uh, very, very famous, legendary yes. composer and conductor of the 20th century, Leonard Bernstein. Yes. A man who was uh, a superstar yeah. in his moment. And we don't really have those in the world of classical music. Not many, anyway. Not really. At the moment, in this at this moment in history. And he was uh, uh, beloved, and he was married. He was also a closeted bisexual. Yes. Who uh, that sort of proved to be a troubling yes. element of his life. For all the ways that you could tell Leonard Bernstein's story, yeah. Maestro decides to focus on his marriage, uh-huh. which may or may not be the most interesting way into his life, okay. but that's what they've chosen. Okay. Uh, so, yes, we open... I... Go on, go on. I'll, I'll, I'll hold my thoughts until okay. you... Yeah. We open with young Bernstein living in the, the, li- li- living in the uh, Mahershala Ali apartments in Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Um, and getting his big break. He, he, is, he is the backup conductor for the New York Philharmonic at the age of 25. And he gets to go on. And, uh, and it's a very big deal. And he gets this phone call while he's in bed with Matt Bomer. So, you know, it's like, yay, everything's, everything's coming up me. It's, um, you know what? You jump out of bed with Matt Bomer to go do this gig. It, it, that's what everybody a, would do. It's a toughie. Yeah. It, it, it's a toss-up. But anyway, um, and then he meets Felicia Montalegre at uh, at a party, and they hit it off in a very 1940s movie way because it's the 1940s, and this movie tends to sort of mirror the eras that it's covering. Uh, yeah, that's true. For better or worse. Uh-huh. Um, and at one point, in fact, kind of their courtship gives way to this sort of dreamy ballet like the he, he suddenly he's one of the dancing sailors and on the town which he composed the music for which is a cool scene i love that sequence yeah and the movie never quite goes there again no. in terms of marrying his real life and his work life um you know you you get certainly not in that kind of fantastical way yes absolutely yeah. Yeah. so then you like you get an interview with, with you know edward r murrow where they you know it's a couple of years after they're married and it's a quick recitation of all of their accomplishments you know he has he's conducting this and he scored on the waterfront and he's um but he you know 
while he is broken off with Matt Bomer, and again, a great scene that is not really ever repeated, early on, they, they, they encounter each other in Central Park, they're both married now, they've got kids now, and it's like they're leading these 1950s respectable lives, but obviously still have very great feelings toward each other, right. that they can't, you know, follow in the way that they would like to, because society won't let them. And then the rest of the movie is kind of him having a roving eye and running off with inappropriately young men and she side eyes and frets and they argue about it sometimes. And once they start arguing, it's actually a little more interesting than when they're in the 40s because the 40s stuff is a little arch. Uh, whereas by the time it's the seventies and they're, the characters are older and the voices are deeper and they're yeah. like, they have these reservoirs of rage toward each other. Yeah. I was way more into that. Yeah. Um, but by the end of this, I didn't really have a strong feel for like who this guy was, what he did, why he matters. Apart from what I went in with, you know, what I already knew about Bernstein, what I got from the movie was some incredible scenes you know, the two that I mentioned, the you've probably heard about it, six minute sequence where uh, Bradley Cooper, who spent years learning how to conduct an orchestra and a chorus, conducts an orchestra and a chorus yeah. doing Mahler's 10th symphony. It's beautiful. It's a great yeah. scene. Again, this is why I'm saying, like, I was telling, saying people, you got to see this movie, even though I don't think it's a, a, an entirely successful movie. Um, and... So yeah, I, I by the end of it, I just I kind of felt like it. Th there's a lot of big flourishy moments for Cooper as a director, sort of showing his comfort with taking big swings, and you know he gives Corey Carrie Mulligan top billing, and so clearly like is you know trying to like showcase her performance, and you know he's acting the hell out of this too. Yeah, but I don't know. It just it didn't come together for me as. You know, thankfully, it's not your standard music biopic. You know, right. they, they don't they don't go the like Bohemian Rhapsody route. But I would have loved something more like Thirty Two Short Films about Glenn Gould, uh, where you to tell people what that is. That's a it's a nineties Canadian film yeah. from Francois Girard, starring Colmini as uh, no, sorry, Comfiore yeah. as this legendary Colmini. Comfiore, Comfiore as a a legendary Canadian classical pianist. And this guy was sort of like the Bobby Fisher of classical music and then right. he sort of like disappeared after a while and yep. kind of took himself away from the fray. But the movie gives you this insight of like how he hears the world and how he, what music means to him, how he translates it and, 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 and performs it in a way that I've never seen another movie do. And this movie kind of felt like you I almost wish if they weren't going to go that route, they would either, they would have taken the nuggets of this movie that are the biggest and craziest and most impressive and worked at that level. But instead you just sort of get these little, it's like if you, if you put spices into a, a batter, but you don't stir it enough. And so you, <laughs> then you get a bite of like, you know, this big wad of pepper that has not dispersed throughout. That's kind of what you get with Maestro. There are moments of pepper, but the rest of it uh, lacks flavor. It should have been a miniseries. Mm -hmm. Maybe. It yeah. should have been an eight or 10 episode miniseries because here's the, the problem that the film tries to address and can't quite navigate. It, it, it's shorter than Argyle. That's <laughs> true. But again, Argyle it's is way a, too long. Argyle is an infinite number of minutes long. <laughs> it's all the minutes. Yeah. 
Um, it wants to it wants to give you a, a, a sense of who he was professionally and what he meant to American right. culture right in his in his era what he meant to the world of you know serious music in that era it also and so but here's the thing right if you focus all on that you've still got a three-hour movie to film okay and if you ignore his personal life people like you and me Yo, sure. Are going to be like, this is erasure. Yeah. Straight washing. Queer erasure. Yeah. So, like, Mr. Cooper decided, all right, we're going to make this as much about his marriage and about his his troubled, you know, existence as we are about his career. And we'll, we'll try to juggle the two. And you don't. You don't get enough of his career as a result. Yeah. Having said that, the marriage narrative, the, the, the narrative of the marriage and the closet, I found actually quite moving. Um, and the idea that, that this man is married to this woman and loves her very much and isn't trying to be harmful. But you know, he's surrounded by hot 23-year-old conducting students. <laughs> Protégés. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, in, in, my, in my review- Lydia Tarr. <laughs> exactly, Could what are you never. gonna do? <laughs> in, in my review, uh, I was saying that, you know, the, the, there's a recurring thing in the script, the, the script, I was saying screenplay, the and what? it came out. Okay. The screenplay, yeah. uh, that, uh, that, that, Cooper wrote with uh, uh, Josh Singer, who wrote Spotlight. Yeah, uh, Bernstein's always saying, "I love people," and yeah. and you get the impression that even sexy, if he, sexy people. Like if he were alive now and he'd married the Matt Bomer character, he'd still behave like this. Oh like, yeah, for sure. It, yeah, it, it's not just a question of like, oh, I'm married to a woman, but I need men so much. It's like, no, I just need people right. and new faces and new experiences yeah. all the time. Um. But you, you, what the film does convey, though, is that there's still this deep love with, with his wife on both their parts. You know, that moment when the, when the conducting scene ends, mm -hmm. he walks directly over to her. She, he had no idea she was going to be there because they had already, like, split up. And he's like, you didn't have to come and they embrace and they kiss and it's meaningful and it's real and you get this deep sense of you know regret and sorrow about how they are with each other um and a sense of how they're going to keep being in each other's lives even if they're going to split up i think they also i mean yes that that is there i i i feel like I don't know. I was unsatisfied by that being the focus of the movie. Right. And Richard Lawson from Vanity Fair raised a good point, which is that the movie doesn't give you all of the stuff that Felicia was about. Right. Like she, That's true. she had, know. she had a career as an actress that the movie yep. doesn't really get into. She was not a, much anyway. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. They, it's, they, like I said, it's mentioned in an interview and they kind of rattle off some titles. You do need to know some things about both of them before you go. Here's in. the thing I didn't know about yeah. her. She was very big activist in the 1960s. She 
through the party for the Black Panthers that Tom Wolfe wrote about oh. in Radical Chic. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. she was the hostess of that party. Why is that not on the movie? <laughs> right? That's a huge thing. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, okay. This film's about a lot of things. Like I said, it's about the closet. It's about, you know, a very important, you know, uh, bisexual person that history can't still can't quite get a handle on. And and and, um, and, and you talked about him being a, this major figure in like classical music and like he was kind of a major figure in music period culture i mean yes. this is the guy who composed west side yes. story yes you know this is he he, he was the, the concerts for young people yes. on television like he was yes. a star he was everywhere yeah yeah um it's also about you know the the pull of the personal and the professional um it's about living in the greatest apartment in the dakota oh my god the i'll tell you something the, the production design, the set dressing, everything about this movie is impeccably of the various eras that yes. it takes you through. Right down to the ashtrays and... <laughs> and oh, they need the ashtrays. The, 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 oh, yeah. The, the smoking is... <laughs> the smoking in this movie makes Mad Men look like a PSA for not smoking. <laughs> Only the swans smoke this much. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I will never watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Day Parade again without thinking about this movie. I'll right. say that much. Um, <laughs> the prosthetics on Bradley Cooper, I thought, were unusual um, and unnecessary. I thought they too got better as the character got older. This is this is what I was. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> You open, they open the film with him in the old age makeup. And he looks like Leonard Bernstein. Like Leonard Bernstein. And y'all, go look at some pictures of the real Leonard Bernstein on the internet, well, both young and old, and come to understand one very important thing about him a stone fox. Yes. Uh, at every age, the man was gorgeous. And old Bradley Cooper in old prosthetics. Looks like hot old Leonard Bernstein. Young Bradley Cooper in 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 Leonard Bernstein prosthetics looks like less hot Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> yeah, and so it, it it always it confuses me. Like, why would you just why not just say, hey, Leonard Bernstein was super attractive. I Bradley I, Cooper, Bradley Cooper and super and also super attractive. I'm just going to play him, and I don't need the extra stuff on my face. To 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 make this man's profile exactly like Dave, you think of it. It's those three little words. I know. For, for your, your consideration. consideration. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Um so congratulations on the old age hotness makeup. Less congratulations on the young hotness makeup. It was not necessary. Um I believe the main designer of the makeup here is also the guy who created the Grinch uh, for Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, okay. Who's a you know obviously Kaz Kazuhiro, who is a legend. Okay, um, he's the one who turned Nicole Kidman into whichever of the Fox News ladies that mm -hmm. she played mm -hmm. in Bombshell. He turned Gary Oldman into Winston Churchill. Um, 
you know, he did all the Benjamin Buttons. The, right. he's, he's the man. So this is not a movie that can be understood as simply the story of a real man. But also, it's about the process of making movies like this. Whether those movies are intended uh, to wind up feeling like a collection of disparate parts <laughs> or not. That is kind of what's happening here. Yeah, that's that's my take. And I had a really good time watching it, and I was never bored. And if you're going to go see it, you should go see it. Like I, if you can see it projected, yeah. it is on Netflix right now. Go to a movie theater. It's still in some movie. Theaters. Well, yeah. yeah. If, if you live in a city with a concentration of Academy Award voters, you can probably still see it on the big screen. Yeah. Which is how I got to see it. Uh, you know. And yeah, like for all the things that bug me about this movie or that I wish they'd done differently, it's really entertaining. And those moments that pop, you really want to take in on the big screen with the sound enveloping you, the whole thing. Right. So yeah, it's, it is frustrating in that it's not better, but it doesn't mean it's not good. I'm seeing a lot of like, like visceral hate for it on the internet. And I think that's a result of people who just want to have, like, the most bloodthirsty opinion they can have. Well, I, I, here's um, the thing. I think of this year's Oscar crop. Yeah. It feels like the most traditionally awards For baby. sure. It, between the subject matter and the handling of it yeah. Yeah. and the campaign for it, yeah. it feels the most like, check out my prestige, right. y'all. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. But it doesn't. It, it hasn't earned the venom that I'm seeing. Yeah, it's no green book. No. All right, American Fiction. Yes. Talk about it, please. So American Fiction, uh, based on a novel that I have not read, uh, but should right. at some point, called Erasure, Not the Band. Uh, it is the... All right, middle-aged gay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is the big screen directorial debut of Cord Jefferson, who uh, comes from a TV background. And it is uh, a satire starring Jeffrey Wright as uh, Thelonious, a, an academic and author whose... Last name, Ellison? Uh, yes, yes, Thelonious Ellison. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot but of... His friends and family call him Monk. Monk, yes. Um, anyway, yeah, he, he's an academic who is uh, at the end of his last nerve with his students and an author whose books do not sell. And uh, when his, uh, his institution of learning forces him to go on sabbatical, he reluctantly returns home to Boston where his family lives. Uh, his mother, played by Leslie Uggams, his sister, played by Tracy Ellis Ross. He has another brother. She's a doctor. He has another brother who's a doctor, played by Sterling K. Brown. Um he is trying to get another book sold and know what is interested. And they keep saying they want a black book. And right. what he comes to understand that that means is they want a sort of stereotypical, you know, uh, inner city kind of, uh, you know, thing about uh, unwed mothers and yeah. you know, crack dealers. At the very beginning, you see uh, Issa Rae. Yes. Playing an author of contemporary literary fiction. A successful one. Very successful. Who has written a bestseller that is written in vernacular yes and and uh when she reads it in public she takes she you know, code switches on stage yeah, immediately <laughs> and 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 uh jeffrey Wright is like what's happening yeah um later they have opportunity to be professionally engaged with each other and 
sparks, dig into that a little. Sparks um, fly there, not romantic ones. No, at all. But go um, on. Anyway, so one drunken night, he he writes the book that he that, that they that they that they want, and he's doing it as a joke. He's doing it as a as a way to stick it to the publishers and sort of you know make a point about what it is that they're trying to get him to do. Right. Wouldn't you know it? That book becomes the That's object the, of a heated bidding war. He's trolling them, and they pick up on it, and they pay him for it. Exactly. Yeah. And while he, at first, is reluctant to have anything to do with it, circumstances in his life require him to make come, some money. Make really some money quickly. really quickly. Yeah. And so, uh, so he goes along with it, and it just spirals further out of control, and really messes with a budding relationship that he has uh, with a, a, an attorney played by Eric Alexander from Living Single. Yes. And and from a lot of things, um, who who lives, but mostly from but mostly from living single, single uh, who lives across the street. That's where everyone knows. Or I, you yeah. know, okay. Who lives across the street from his family in this uh, beachside community in Massachusetts? Um, I remember speaking of trailers. The first trailer for this movie made it look like this sort of one joke satire. Right. Like it was bamboozled, basically. Like the idea of like, I'm going to write this dumb book and the book's going to be popular and, you know, whatever. And then this movie has so much more on the table. Like, yes, that is a through line and a plot and, and they, they, they get into it with that stuff. But it's also so much about Monk's family. Right. His relationship with his brother and his sister and his mother. His relationship with the woman who has been their sort of like housekeeper for his entire life. Um, you know, and, and so the, it sort of gets into whole issues of caste there, if you've seen Origin. Um, yeah. And it's funny and sharp and constantly surprising. And the performances are so good. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is like he... He's one of those people where you're like, ah, finally, number one on the call sheet. Because he's the, he's the guy who usually comes in for like two scenes in a movie, wipes up the floor, and then leaves. And here he's in the whole thing, and he's great. And Tracy Ellis Ross is great. Mm -hmm. Sterling K. Brown. John Ortiz as his attorney. Of course, Leslie Uggams. Yeah. Like just so so whole well cast. put together. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great ensemble. And a, and a movie that is so sharp about so many things not just the world of literature or yeah. you know black images and popular culture but like the family stuff i totally right. responded to not just because i have uh -huh. a bunch of siblings who are doctors oh, i watched this movie thinking <laughs> hmm, not just because of which that. family is this yeah. <laughs> but a lot of other factors as well so yeah th this caught me by surprise and i it made my top 20 last year i love this film and I don't want to minimize Erica Alexander's career by reducing it just to living single. She's been in 1,000 things. Yes. But, you know, affectionately, living single. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a really good movie. Uh, and it is absolutely not the film I understood it to be from the trailer that I first saw. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailers thinking, hmm, how many jokes are in this film? <laughs> are is we getting just, all of them? Is it just the one? And oh, and by the way, if we're going to talk about actors, we of course have to mention our beloved Michael Cyril Creighton. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. He's not in it much, but... Yeah. <laughs> and Miriam Shore. Very effectively. Yeah. As, as Drea put it, um, you know in the script it said, a Miriam Shore type. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the trailer made me not want to see it. Yeah. And then you saw it and said, no, 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 no. Just... Watch it anyway. And thankfully there was a second trailer yeah. that helped. Um, it is funny consistently from start to finish 
It is uh, absolutely the kind of comedy that gets saved, generally gets saved for year-end award consideration release. I mean, mm. if you're, I don't know who put this out. Was it A24? Uh, it's uh, Amazon MGM. Okay. A24 puts out this kind of thing all year long, but like, and, but, but, but the, uh, like they put out You Hurt My Feelings like say, back the, in, in February or This March. is definitely the world of You Hurt My Feelings. Yeah. This sort of like bookish. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but you realize that they're trying to sneak a comedy past the award voting bodies. <laughs> <laughs> True. All of, and, and, they, and this is a traditional thing that all of whom lean far more toward recognizing heavy drama. Yeah. They just... Don't like, care to give comedies. That's a uh, that's a big part of the Barbie conversation, you know. Yeah. Like you know, you, it got two supporting nods because that's what comedies get, but they you right. know they almost never get lead right. nominations, which Jeffrey Wright thankfully did. Yeah, but there's so much packed into this movie, like the state of contemporary publishing, which you and I are very aware of, mm. um, the evolving ways that black people in the United States have to deal with white liberals and the marketplace that keeps things kind of the same as they ever were. Yeah. Um, Which is also touched on in the 40 year old version. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Uh, You know, it's kind of about the ways that, that uh, dominant groups set up expectations of a monolithic culture Mm -hmm. within various non-denominant, non-dominant groups. (laughs) Non-denominational, <laughs> non-dominant groups. Yes, uh, it's about fractured family relationships and intellectual people who are good at distancing themselves from their emotions and mm-hmm. from all human interaction. Uh, it's about homophobia. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about having money versus not having money. It's about snotty writers and their egos. <laughs> and I just think it's wonderful. I also want to give a little bit of a, a, a nod of attention to, I don't know who the new young music supervisors are <laughs> in movies lately, but Saltburn and this movie had whip your head around surprising needle drops that made me wonder if finally... Music supervisors all got the memo, stop using tired old stuff and start digging deeper for cooler stuff that will take people by surprise. Uh, the music supervisor here is a woman named uh, Julie Glaze Houlihan. Okay. And uh, she also worked on Glass Onion. Okay. But as we've talked about, uh, the, the, the drops of of uh, Sophie Ellis Baxter and the <laughs> cheeky girls in Saltburn were yes. cause for <laughs> jubilation. Ju- jubilation. Um, and in this one, you get to hear 80s club hit Don Quixote by Magazine 60. And also um, an early 80s uh, just wonderful jam by a Jamaican singer named Sonia Spence called Let, Let Love Flow On. And when I heard both these songs, I was like, oh, yes. Hello, music supervisor. Let's be friends. <laughs> uh, if we're going to talk about great needle drops of the recent past, we, we can't ignore the uh, steel drum cover of 50 Cent in Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that was to annoy you. Well, yes, but yeah. still. That was meant to annoy. Did the trick. It was meant to drive you round the bend. <laughs> that was meant to make you murder your spouse. Maybe. 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 <laughs> 
Okay, uh, the zone of interest. Yes. Oh, I get to describe you this. Did. Okay, yeah, I told you you were sure. describing everything. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. So, based on a novel by Martin Amis, which I've also not read, um, this film is about a real life uh, family. The the Haas family. Dad is a commandant uh, running the show at the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. And uh, his wife and family uh, all live in a home that's just on the other side of the wall. Yep. And the whole strategy of this film, directed by the great Jonathan Glazer, is to stay on that side of the wall. So you don't see what's going on, but boy, do you hear it. Yeah, you do. You hear it a lot. Uh, Johnny Burns' sound design is exemplary, and Mika Levy's score is... It's another Mika Levy score that will rattle your your soul, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know this is this is. I, I would say there are certain movies that that you know whenever you hear a song you'll think of that film. Um, whenever I hear the phrase "the banality of evil," I will think about this movie now because it is about people who are going through their daily lives and making the Holocaust happen and are aware of what's going on and not particularly bothered by it, more concerned about their own little petty needs and desires and um, perks. And, you know, it's a film, I think, that that sort of challenges you to the idea of you know, we, we always have this conversation about movies about racism and the racists are these foaming at the mouth monsters and right. the nice people come in. And They're period the, films. Yes. And, and the audience a, is designed to relate to the nice people. That is a distancing effect. Yeah. Um, but go on. And so this movie, you know, these monsters are flesh and blood human beings. Yeah. And it forces you to think about, you know, what wall do I know? What wall do I live next to? What who's suffering for my comfort? Right. Um, and this is a chilling film, and I know that there are critics whom we love very much who find it banal and pointless. But I found it thoroughly uh, disturbing, and uh, it shook me. And I, I think it is a great movie. I never want to watch again. Is that it? I, I I don't know what else to okay. talk to, to say about it okay. without getting into too deeply about the... I should know if you wanted to throw it to me. The mechanics okay. of it. No, no, no. Take, take it away. Um, I appreciate this film. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm less... Uh, I think I'm less hot for it than you are. I will say and, this. Yes. I, I saw it not only in a theater, but like at one of the Dolby houses. Of course. Where that sound Yep. Yeah. And if you, you watch it if you watch it on a on a on a screen in your home, uh make sure there's absolute quiet around you and, and darkness. And darkness and that your volume is up high. Kinda like uh uh when they said yeah, memoria, you mm. make sure you see it, you know, with a great sound yeah. uh, system. I think people who go to this film who don't routinely engage with the sort of filmmaking that is very popular in uh, sort of the heavy-duty art house mm-hmm. world or, you know, film festivals it might be their first sort of experience of long takes and a fixed camera and very wide shots 
that equally prioritize the you know group of people in this case a family just going about their business and you know the machinery in the background so it's you get everything all at once um you know there's a disorienting score uh, there are sidebars to uh, night vision sequences that don't become clear until later in the film um there are shots, close-up shots of flowers that become symbolically important, you know, screen that turns to red for reasons that become known later on. Like you, it's the kind of movie that makes you wait for it a lot. The the opening, in fact, the screen is black. Yes. And it's all sound. It's and all sound. I, I forget who wrote this, but I thought it was a really great observation. They said some movies teach you how to watch them. Right. And this movie is telling you how to listen to it. Right. So it's that kind of movie. It is a kind of it's the kind of movie that if you are, you know, steeped in the art house world, you know what kind of movie this is. What you're in for. You yeah. know how he's you know how Glazer is telling this story and what uh, uh formal elements he's employing to keep you simultaneously engaged and separated yeah. from what's happening. Um and he's you know drops information along the way and makes its point repeatedly in these small incremental ways. Now, your uh, discussion of the banality of evil, it seems to me uh, this film hinges on focusing on people with, with similar access to power. Um, like if you want to see how this worked with everyday people who are not part of a, a an extermination uh, machine, right? You know this character was a real guy. Yeah, Rudolf Haas was a real guy, um, and he was in charge of a lot of slaughter. Most people in times of extreme uh, genocidal situations are not in charge of the slaughter they're everyday people and i'm watching this i kept thinking about and i bring this up all the time i kept thinking about showa sure claude landsman made showa a nine-hour documentary about the holocaust and he began shooting it in the 70s by going to the now grassy fields where the camps were and the villages nearby. And he would just talk to just folks. This is the seventies. It's like 30 years after the war. He just talks to these folks, everyday people. And he says things to them like, you know, where's the Jewish, where are the Jewish people now? And they just are like shrug. They shrug and they go, oh yeah, they're gone. And we don't miss them. They're just the people who lived around. Right. You know. So Claude Lanzmann made film after film after film about this kind of thing. All of his footage became multiple documentaries. And he even has interviews in those films with people who were directly involved. People who are akin to Rudolf Haas. Mm. 
It's very direct filmmaking. You know, it's intense. And it's just as quiet as this mm -hmm. film. Uh, but incredibly, just this monumental thing. I think this film feels more like an abstraction. Um, not that it needs to be directly about violence or genocide, but its characters are distant enough, I think, to feel like, well, that could never be me. I disagree. You don't think so? I don't think so. Okay. Because, you know, okay, you've got Sandra Hüller playing, you know, Frau Haas. Right. Again, from also from Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. And she is, when we first meet her, you know, she's a mom doing mom things. Yes. And and there is this, you know, you you sort of have this moment of kind of just seeing her as a benign figure. And then you very quickly realize between the way she treats the servants, right. who those servants are, yes. the the you know, the the trying on the fur coat scene. Yes. You know, you're like, oh, okay. You, you know, and and I think as as American moviegoers at least, or maybe moviegoers in general, but we're conditioned to see a character like that and think and think, oh, she doesn't realize what's going what her on. husband's up to, no, what's totally going knows. on, and you're like, oh no, no, she knows, yeah, she knows and she doesn't care, knows. and I think that that's for me anyway. That that just that hit me because I'd never seen a character like that in a movie where. You know, usually I'm used to that character being somehow sheltered and, you know, having this sort of Jane Fonda arc of revelation, yes. you know, and, and no, we're just, mm -mm, she knows she's she completely, she is absolutely right. in on this blood is on her hands. Right. And, and so from that point, I was like, just fascinated to see how this was going to unfold. And so, yes, this isn't a movie about the bystanders or the third party beneficiaries of, right. you know, like oh, I got the apartments or whatever. Like, right. yes, it's about the people right in the middle of it who are making the thing happen. But I don't think that makes it any less of a uh, an abstraction for audiences. I Again, like I said before, I think it, it, it makes you think about, you know, what are you letting happen and not responding to because you know it's there but you either don't want to get too deep into it or you don't care enough because right. you got yours right right no i think it is an admirable film mm -hmm. as an art house exercise in 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 something that is akin to minimalism sure you know a cousin to slow cinema maybe yeah um but i entered it and exited this film, the same person. Okay. And, uh, you know, I wonder what this film has to say to, again, to everyday people who are living under the, under the shadow of huge power where they were changing that feels out of their reach. You know, like you, you, how much power do you have to, to stop a slaughter, to stop a genocide. Well, yeah. I, I think that's you, that's another story that this yeah. movie is not telling. Yeah. I mean, I felt frustrated by it because I want to move beyond examinations of evil well, to examinations of how we make the world better. Do you? I mean, do you I, come? Do you that's come, what I want. Do you come away with Showa? Does that movie offer a blueprint of of how? No, it does. You know, yeah. So I, I don't doesn't. know why. I, I don't know. Also, I think. 
of the many people that are seeing this movie, and I've, I think clearly now a lot more because it yeah. has these Oscar nominations behind it, how many of them saw a show? I don't know. You like, know? I, I just want to be clear. I don't hate this movie. Okay. I, again, I think it is admirable. Um, and that's as... Fair I, enough. I, I, that's as far as I can go. I think it's good. Okay. Um. I know that sounds like damning it with faint praise, but I, it's it's a good film. Fair enough. Okay. I won't be shamed by you, Alonzo. I would never. <laughs> uh, we have uh, some letters, but first, I need you to know there's a patreon.com slash linoleum knife. There sure is. Link. Floating in the, around the internet that you need to click on. It's in the show notes. Go to it. Become a subscriber to the other uh, uh, podcasts. If your ears perked up when Dave talked about uh, spinach lasagna. I'm going to talk more about it on one of the other podcasts. There's yeah. a lot of them. Uh, you can go to Linoleum Knife. I'm sorry. You can go to patreon.com slash Linoleum Knife. Learn what those shows are. Decide on your favorite subscription uh, level. Uh, level. The one that's right for you. Become, become one of us. <laughs> do it. Uh, that's the hardest sell I'm going to go on, do on this today. And uh, I want to get to the letters. If you're if you're at uh, some of our higher levels, you get to participate in our monthly club meeting, and we just put a survey up to ask people to pick what the next three are going to be. I don't know if y'all heard, Netflix has has an entire page of 50th anniversary movies, a bunch of classics of 1974, including Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, The Conversation, Chinatown, Blazing Saddles. And uh, we are going to watch those with Patreon members, hang out in Discord and talk. So uh, that's just one of the many cool things you get from becoming a Patreon subscriber. And now we have letters. Joe, <clears throat> responding to our uh, discussion of the Pet Shop Boys concert film documentary. Yes, Dream World. Says, uh, I keep forgetting the title. <laughs> he says, Chris Lowe is the hottest rock star ever. It, it's true. He sets the stage on fire <laughs> by not moving. By not moving. <laughs> I'm a Billy Bragg guy. <laughs> We're going to talk about crushes. <laughs> That's my crush. Yeah. Fair. Keith says, uh, the Pet Shop Boys movie is excluded from AMC Stubbs A-list and it's $18 for a non-premium screen. So I'll pass. Yeah, they'll, it'll stream soon enough. Sure, yeah. yeah. Hey, look, I had to pay to see Taylor and Beyonce, even though I'm an AMC Stubbs member. So, you know, sometimes... Yeah, he's he's not, gonna... He doesn't have to do this for work, though. This is, this is also right. true. Uh, Julia says, uh, regarding the bolognese I'm going to make for Academy Awards night. Yes. She says, Bucatini uh, Amatriciana might be what makes everyone happy. True. There, there was a, do we go bolognese or do we go uh, carbonara? carbonara? Maybe, maybe we do. Julia little, has split the difference. Maybe we do a little bit of both. Maybe. Yeah. Our friend Mark says I am at Dreamland in Pasadena right now I am the only gay guy in the IPIC theater is it weird or is it just Pasadena 
Might be just Pasadena. Could be just Pasadena. Yeah. He says, I also explained to the waiter, because the, the I pick is a... One of those schmancy... Yeah, it's one of those, they bring you food. Yeah. Uh, they, they bring you your mozzarella sticks. You yeah, don't have you to don't, get them at the counter. You don't lug them from the yeah. concession stand like a peasant. Uh, he also says, I also explained to the waiter that if he likes the Pet Shop Boys, who he didn't know existed until now... <laughs> I'm guessing that waiter is 17. Then he should check out Sparks. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Bringing culture wherever he goes. Yes. Uh, that's it. Those are the letters. All right. Exciting. Uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Check me out on other podcasts, won't you? Uh, I'm on Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire. It's a YouTube channel. It's also a podcast. Uh, I am on uh, Maximum Film at the Maximum Fun Network and uh, make weekly appearances on Deck the Hallmark as well. So hope you'll enjoy those. Um, if you can uh, go subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review, we will read that five-star review on the show. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, YouTube Music, and Amazon Music, CastBox, cast and Podbean. Uh, thank you, Blue, for our theme music. See what he's up to at blueBLEU.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can follow us at LinoleumCast on uh, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Facebook. And drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or comments. We'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye.